The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Christmas Day, December 25th, 2020, by Vicar Evan Aerosmith on the basis of John 1, verses 1 through 18. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I think, looking back, my favorite Christmas tradition of all time was not setting up the Christmas tree or eating an absolutely despicable amount of Christmas cookies, completely unsupervised, but it was setting up the nativity scene on the mantle. Partially because it was the one time a year that I actually got to play with the fancy action figures before we had to let them sit there until the end of Christmas. But also because, well, it made me feel like I was living out the story, like I was acting out, I was part of it, because I got to decide who got to stand where, who got the best view of the newborn baby Jesus, and how far across the room to put the Magi to keep the manger scene biblically accurate. It really brought the story to life, I think. And that's something that I think we can all relate to. We love good, familiar stories. But even more than that, we love to take those stories and visualize them, to take the words that we've heard and the words that we've read that we're familiar with, that we know, and to make them into something that we can see and touch. That's why Hollywood has a billion-dollar industry going on. And yet, before we had movies, we had nativity sets. Now, the traditional one, like this one right here, is a mashup of the Christmas stories that Luke and Matthew put in front of us. But there's another Christmas story in the mix. One without shepherds, without wise men, without angels or a manger, or even a baby, and it's John's Christmas story. Now, just looking at this manger scene, you're not going to be able to spot any of the details of John's Christmas story. Just as Mary and Joseph likely weren't able to fully grasp the truths of John's Christmas story immediately in the moment. But when you take in what John has to say about the child in this manger, and when you hear what he has to say about you, you will truly understand this nativity scene and the reality of the nativity itself. Because at Christmas, God our Father took what cannot be seen or touched or comprehended and made it tangible for us. John's Christmas story is not so much concerned with the what, not so much concerned with what happened, as with the who. What child is this? Who is this baby in the manger? Who are these people standing around him? In the manger is God, and around him are us, his children. Now, John begins his Christmas story where all good beginnings have their beginning in the beginning. He whisks us back to the breathless, sightless silence of the unformed universe to show us that long before Bethlehem, Jesus was there. He takes us back to the very opening of the Bible in Genesis, and yet where Genesis teaches us what God did, John rewinds to show us who this God is. John finds in the beginning God, and he finds the Word. He calls them one and the same, and yet he calls them distinct. And so what do we make of that? What is the word? Well, for starters, what are words? At the risk of sounding obvious for us, words are those tiny bits of sound, which are objectively meaningless, but tiny bits of sound that we pass along to move information from one person to another. They elicit a reaction from the people who hear them. And most importantly, most importantly, they take 
the, they allow us to grasp with our mind the ideas and notions that we can't hold with our hands. Things like love or communism. God's word, on the other hand, take, and does something very similar. He uses his word to elicit a reaction, but instead of re- eliciting re- a reaction out of his hearers, he elicits a reaction out of reality itself. God says, let there be light, and there's light. God also uses his word to reveal to humans the things that human minds could not comprehend with sight or, or with sound or with their hands. He teaches us who he is. He teaches us what he desires and what he has done for us. And yet one time, and so the word of God, the word, is sort of this link between God and man personified, literally, not figuratively, but literally. And one time in human history, after years and millennia of speaking through his prophets and through the scripture, through the word, God takes it a step further and puts that word before our eyes in a way that we can truly see and touch and hear and love. And that's all summed up with one phrase, the word became flesh. Only one time in human history has that ever happened. And so that shows us who John's talking about when he says the word. Because when that happened in history, it was Christmas. And that person was Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means that today, Mary holds in her arms far more than she could ever grasp. Today, Mary wraps in swaddling cloths more than she could ever wrap her mind around. The word through which all things were made now lies wordlessly in the manger. In short, Mary has just brought into the world the God who created it. I don't think I'm telling you anything about Jesus that you don't already believe, but on Christmas and in the Christmas season, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the kitschiness and the platitudes and to really lose out and cheat ourselves of the amazement that comes with understanding what Christmas is all about. We see it in the world that Jesus was brought into. Here he is in a world that will only recognize him as what it thinks it needs, but not as what he actually is. He comes among a people who will receive him only as a symbol, a mascot, a life coach, or, or even just an old-fashioned old piece of tradition like we see in a nativity set. But not as a savior. And the reason for that, I think, is fairly obvious. The idea of salvation implies, well, that there's something wrong with us. And what's more, the notion of a savior implies that, well, we're not fit to save ourselves. And that just rubs against human nature in the wrong way. But if we allow our idea of Christmas to be cut off at this freeze frame of the manger scene, and if we hold up this picture alone without understanding what it holds, then we sacrifice so much more than awe and wonder. We sacrifice the relationship with God that is offered at the manger. It probably seems like a paradox that the infinite God should come to us contained in a human child, but it's the most blessed paradox in history because if Jesus had come swooping down from heaven, armed and arrayed with all the power and prestige that he's owed, then we never would have approached him. Nobody would have approached him if he had come as the righteous warrior that Israel so desperately wanted and what they so eagerly expected. Then everybody who needed him most 
would have been sent running back into the darkness to hide in shame. But here we find Jesus, God in the manger, who comes to us with the love and faithfulness of a brother and with all the power of God the Father to back it up, both to forgive us and to reveal God to us. Because only from the fullness of God can we receive grace upon grace and forgiveness without limit. And yet only from his humanity can that grace be given to mankind. Only by God can God truly be revealed, and yet only through his humanity can mankind truly begin to behold those mysteries. So come to the manger with confidence and with faith look into it and find your Savior God because he's there. But now what about these people around the manger? And what about you? Equally important. I like to think about what this whole situation would have been like for Mary. She heard from the angel in his own words that she was going to be carrying God in her womb, that she was going to give birth to the Son of God who is God himself. She carried God in her womb for nine months. I I imagine she had all the typical symptoms of pregnancy. I imagine her labor and delivery was no walk in the park. So when all was said and done, I can't imagine, I don't know what else she would have expected other than a normal human baby. And still, I imagine she may have been a little underwhelmed as she holds this baby and looks into its eyes knowing that it's God, and yet seeing nothing but a squirming infant. He didn't come out glowing. He had no halo. He didn't even levitate. He's just like me, she thinks. He's just like me. But then shepherds show up, sprinting out of the fields with praise on their lips for for this infant who looks just like them. And magi show up from the east, with gifts and worship for this child, this child who looks just like them. And it begins to click for her. As I mentioned earlier, when Christians think of redemption, they tend to look to Jesus' death on the cross. And rightly so, because that was the culmination of his redemption. But today, let's consider his birth. Paul points us to the manger and at the child in it and says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that you may receive the full rights of sons. John holds this child up and says, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we look at this divine trade-off at the cross where Jesus dies our death so that we can live his life. And we see that standing beautifully mirrored by the fact that God's son became a man so that all mankind could become God's children. There's no better word to describe that other than adoption, and that's what it is. That's what it is. John makes it very clear. He says, not children born of blood, not children born of the desire of the flesh, but born of God. By nature, we are children born of flesh and blood, and that is the problem. By nature, I have no inclination to have anything to do with God. And yet now, by coming to the manger in faith and repentance, we undergo that process where God makes us factually 
what we factually were not, his children. And in doing so, he makes us heirs, not of money, not of wealth, but of eternal life. Of all that God has to give, he makes us inheritors. And so now around the manger stands Mary, the mother of this child, and a carpenter, and farmhands, and kings. And they stand around this manger as children of God themselves. All the love that Mary could give her son, all the praise that the shepherds could shower on him, all the gifts and riches that the wise men could bring him were secondary to this gift of adoption that Jesus gives them there. I'm sorry. And so, yes, we celebrate Christmas because it's Jesus' birthday. But we, the reason for the season, the cause for the celebration, and the source of all this joy is because that the day that God's son was born, we were welcomed into his family. When Johann Sebastian Bach first presented his now famous Christmas oratorio in 1734, it's not really a surprise that he didn't include jingle bells or deck the halls in the lineup. But the Christmas worshipers, the joyful Christmas worshipers, may have been equally taken off guard when just a few minutes into the concert, they were blasted with the opening notes of the old Lenten hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Because suddenly, peace on earth and goodwill towards men was momentarily displaced so that just for a minute they could consider the cross. Bach wasn't confused about what time of year it was. He wasn't going for shock value. No, as Bach considered the scriptures he was, he was working with, he understood that this child had not come to be coddled by his mother or fawned over by shepherds or to be showered with gifts by wise men. No, instead he came to redeem you by his life and by his death. And so now we look and we see that those same hands that hung the stars, the hand now wrapped around Mary's finger, is the same hand that would later be pierced by nails. Those eyes which witnessed the first light of creation, which now gaze lovingly up at their mother, would soon gaze desperately up at the father and cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was a Jesus the world couldn't accept either. But from beginning to end, from Christmas to Good Friday and into Easter, Jesus stood among us for one singular reason, to bring us into his family. And that is what John's Christmas story points us to. So if you have a nativity scene at home, maybe you'll take it down this afternoon. Maybe you'll take it down tomorrow. Maybe you'll leave it up for the next few days as the Christmas spirit just sort of subsides until next October. But before you do, take a look at it and read the stories. Read Luke. Read Matthew. See what brought each person to the manger. But then read John's Christmas story and figure out exactly who these people are. In the manger, you will find something that otherwise you could not. And around the manger, you'll find yourself a child of God. 
Merry Christmas. Amen.